0: Hey, firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. It's December, yeah, December 2021, what? What happened? What happened to the whole year? What a, what a nutty, nutty year. How's December looking for you all? Are you lighting the menorah? Are you setting up your Christmas tree? What are you doing to celebrate in December? Because I feel like no matter where you are in the world, there's something celebratory about December end of the year kind of feeling. I have to just give a little shout out to a friend of mine, Tal, who I work with in my acting class. Gosh, we just had the best chat last night. So we're working together in our acting class and have gotten to know each other a little bit more. And last night she was asking me about my parents. And for those of you who don't know, my parents passed away last year. And so I've been dealing with Gosh, I've been dealing with that this year. And having somebody, I don't know, take the time to ask about my parents. And there's always this, um, you know, we spoke about this, Tal and I chatted about this too. Like there's always, there's sort of like a trepidation about like bringing up something that might be emotional. And then as Tal said, like, who cares? So it's emotional, you know, I don't cry all the time when I talk about my folks, but it definitely is, you know, there's grief around my memories because I miss them so much. But there's also, I kind of like this grief. It's a weird thing to say, I kind of like the grief that I have because that's how much I loved them and loved them and having somebody like Tal who's just such a beautiful heart ask me about them is just, uh, it's fantastic giving me a space to remember who they were and share who they were with somebody else who had never met them. It's just a real, it's just a real gift. And as I move through this new world, walking beside, around, within grief, it's helpful to talk about people that I miss because it sort of keeps their memory alive in my own heart. How are you all doing with folks that you miss? Do you speak about them? How do you honor them? I'm setting up a couple of fundraisers for my parents to honor who they were in the world and what they contributed. And that also gives me a good place to put my heart. As I said, I'll talk about them for days. My parents weren't angels. I'm not putting them on a pedestal. We all have our flaws, but I think they were extraordinary people. And I sure do love sharing memories of them with others. So big shout out to my friend Tao, I love ya. And now it's Firecracker Department Real Women's Network Spotlight Time. As you know, we've partnered with Real Women's Network, an online streaming platform that showcases women filmmakers and content creators from all around the world. Once a month, I get to sit down with one of the Real Women's Network creators, and this brings us right this moment to our 13th Real Women's Network Spotlight guest. Yes! And the thing I love about the ability to connect with these people through Real Women's Network is that these are folks that I don't normally cross paths with. A lot of times when we find our guests, it's uh, through Winnie or it's through myself or it's through a friend of a friend. And so the Real Women's Network just has opened up such an amazing buffet, (laughs) a buffet of female creators. And I'm loving everything about meeting these folks. And I love that I'm able to bring their stories and their voices to you. Today is no exception. I loved my chat so much with North Carolina-based, award-winning writer, director, producer, and cinematographer, Joanne Hawk. She's just amazing. I don't know if you feel like this, but when I have these chats, I feel like we're instantly connected. Like if Joanne calls me tomorrow, next year, 10 years from now, and says, hey, do you think you can give me a hand with this? I'd be like, absolutely. We are connected forever. Now, Joanne started in the advertising world, and we talk about this a whole bunch because I'm so fascinated with the business and art connection and balance that we all have to do. She quickly moved from there up the ranks to creative director, and then she just fell in love with being on set. I get it. I mean, if you've ever been on set, there's such a magic element about being on set. I know Winnie Wong and I talk about this all the time. So after she fell in love with being on set, Joanne ventured into commercial film production, working with a ton of national and international ad agencies as a director and a cinematographer. Yeah, both. Yeah, she can do anything. (laughs) Then she fell in love with the film and television world and now she has directed features such as the ultimate legacy discarded things angels unaware trinity goodheart and redneck roots which by the way can be seen see what i'm doing here it can be seen on real women's network you're welcome one of joanne's latest features is a drama set in 1966 called when we last spoke it stars get a load of this academy award winner Cloris leachman oh my gosh what a thrill that must have been to just be in her space. I'm such a fan. And it also stars Melissa Gilbert, Darby Camp, and Corbin Burnson. And it premiered in theaters October 2020. Joanne has also directed over 30 episodes of true crime television, one of my favorites, including Discovery's Southern Gothic, FBI Criminal Pursuit, Ice Cold Killers, and Happily Never After. duane's documentary projects, because she can do anything, for Amazon and PBS include Charles A. Cannon, A Mind of Business, A Heart for People, and From Poverty to Power, The James B. Duke Story. She just has an amazing repertoire of such diverse projects, and I just love that about her. I mean, she puts her heart into everything she does, but you can see when, you know, she sometimes turns up the comedy and turns down the drama and sometimes she turns up the drama and turns down and just, yeah, she's incredible. She has also directed two amazing pop culture documentaries. One is the award-winning audience favorite Purple Dreams, which premiered to a sold-out crowd of 1,500 people at the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival. What? 1,500? I mean, I don't, I don't even think I know 1,500 people. And also she did Martin Hill, Cameraman, a film introduced by Leonard Maltin at its world premiere at the Modern Film Fest in 2012. Joanne does it all. She just does it all. I should just cut to it and just let her tell you how much she does because she's incredible. I just loved this chat and I'm so grateful to the partnership that we have with Real Women's Network for giving me the opportunity to sit down with somebody like Joanne and just soak her in. So here she is, my chat with Joanne Hawk. This is it. Joanne Hawk, everybody. Hi. Hi. I wish I had a bunch of people here that were like,
1: yeah, Hawk in the house. Looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. Where are you in the world? I'm in North Carolina. Can't you tell by my accent?
0: (laughs) I have been to North Carolina. We did a comedy festival there and we loved it. The people there were fantastic.
1: It's, it's a very, it's um, a good word, gracious state. There are lots of kind people. There are lots of narrow-minded people. It just depends on what part of the state you're in, but it's beautiful. I, I can be at the beach in three hours, yeah. in two hours. I live in a large metropolitan city. It's one of the top 18 size cities in the country. So it's, it's growing. I have a good film community. So I feel like it's a good place for me. I, yeah. Have you been there a long time? I have went to college in North Carolina and then ended up working in the film industry here. Should have probably left for LA or New York, but was having too much fun and decided to stay and stick it out. And I think now after all these years, I'm finally seeing what I wanted to have happen happen within my career and with what I was hoping to do all along. And that's to create indigenous programming and productions that are relevant to me but also can work here in, in my own backyard so i've done a lot of work internationally and uh, just got back i was in texas and new mexico and colorado uh, over the last three two and a half weeks so i'm home and it's nice to be back home and I, I go wherever the projects take me but north carolina seems to be home it seems to be where i found my footing i get it
0: yeah, yeah. I-, I looked at your um your IMDb, and you are prolific. I think you've made a movie almost every year since you started your career. <laughs> I've been busy, that's for sure. Yeah.
1: I, I tell people I've never worked a day in my life, though. I've put right? in some long hours, but it's not really work, even when it's intense. It, I just love it. Yeah. Any day I'm on set is a good day. I get it. I feel the same
0: way. What, what is it about set that you're that you love like what's like for me it's the people like it's having discussions with like the boom operator and the craft folks and finding something that brings us all together what's it for you
1: I like the collaborative spirit of everybody working yeah. together in tandem to get something done and I have to confess I like being the big cheese on set and sometimes I'm not I've actually operated on some big movies and gone in and done things where I was just camera operator uh, which is yeah. a kind con- fun learning experience but then i'm over there going hmm i would like to do that do that differently so i love working with uh talented people i like to hire people that are much smarter than me to work with me on these productions and then a a collaboration along the way to make it the best it can be with the budget and the times constraints and all the things that are kind of hemming me in sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah i totally get that you said that you're now
0: in a place where you know like you feel like you know what the purpose is of your your role as a as a filmmaker mm-hmm. can you take me back to like 2005
1: because you started out in cinematography right well actually i started out as a copywriter for okay. ad ad agencies yeah. tv stations and then moved to writing and producing and, you know, dotting your I's across your T's and produce TV shows and things like that. And then I went to an ad agency and I liked that. And I was a writer producer there and I worked my way up to creative director. But a lot of the projects we were doing was very much the same. Right. And the production company reached out and said, you've been directing some for your ad agency. Would you like to direct full time? Like, yeah. Yes, so I was. Yeah. And it was so much fun because it opened the door to a lot of different types of projects, documentary projects, feature films, television shows, episodics, as well as commercial and corporate work. So I do a little bit of everything. I don't specialize in one genre or one Mm -hmm. niche. I I really like to be purposeful. And I have right now, and I had a, a producer meeting earlier this morning, and I said, this, 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 and this are all in the air, I feel like I'm juggling flaming balling balls, and who knows, all of them may end up on the ground, burn out, yeah. or they all may happen at once, and then I'll be in big trouble. But it's yes. that's just the nature of what I do. So yeah. uh, I, I really moved into cinematography. I was a f- still photographer in high school and college, an old-fashioned yeah. everything manual camera with film. Love it. Load my dark room. room. Yep, dark room. Used to load Love my cartridges. And then um, picked up a video camera. And I think this was in 95 and just shot a little bit of stuff. I said, I really like this. And then started shooting motion picture film. So I really Mm -hmm. cut my teeth on the old school way of you had to get the exposure, right? You had to know what colors and frame rates and flicker. And so I was one of the first women cinematographers to my knowledge on, at least on the East Coast back in the mid eighties mid eighties, early '90s. Yeah. I mean, they're still pretty rare now. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I got tapped by Kodak, which was a lot of fun. It was a great company. And there was a gentleman there that kind of took me under his wing. He would send me here's new film stock. I want you to test this. And I had um, I worked for a, f- a film production house and we had motion picture cameras and stuff. So I would be his beta test site for some of their new mm-hmm. motion picture film stocks. And that was so much fun. And then I'd be yeah. sitting in a meeting and there'd be 11 guys and me talking about the film and the film stock and how noisy it was or grainy it was or the toe or the shoulder and the curve and all the technical stuff. And then, then I'd be sitting next to a guy. He, What do you do? I do perfor- I do perforations, you know? And I'll, <laughs> yeah. I do the the emulsion level one on the uh, base. Right. <laughs> Super nerds. And it was so much fun just to have. Hang out with with them and learn, and um, I think because I was a woman and, and and kind of in breaking ground a little bit, they started marketing me. So it was cool to end up in Kodak marketing materials and things like yeah. that. Film kind of went away, and everything gravitated toward this digital technology, which I was super right. reluctant to embrace at first because it didn't. Were the same aesthetic value that i loved with motion picture film but um yes it got better and better and better and um it finally switched over and sold my film cameras and got rid of my film ones oh heartbreaking it was it it, it was um, i love the new technology i'm not waiting for a report from the lab saying no, you don't have any scratches and your film's fine like, right it's, it's instant or somebody reaction.
0: walks into the dark room at an inappropriate time and ruins your I entire just- <laughs> didn't you see the red light yeah (laughs) uh it's so interesting because i i kind of look at your career and you you have such a balance between art and business and it seems like you found that balance and made it work for you which i think is a really i think it's a hard line to to walk did you always find it easy
1: no um i think I learned from my father, who was a good businessman, how you deal with business and you meet people where you, where they are and work with them for both a win-win situation. And that's kind of how I've modeled my business. Um, And as a storyteller, how do I tell their story with the budget they have and work within their budget? So sometimes it's a collaborative process with my, the ad agencies or the, I do a lot of business to business with high level corporations doing a project right now with bank of america which is a huge entity and i'm working directly with their lead team to create and design the the creative write the script so it varies but i think that yeah um the business side of it means realizing where they're coming from so you can meet them where they are and help them go to another level so it's left brain right brain and working together i don't
0: know about you but like i sometimes find like my business balance and my art balance unbalanced and I can feel it in my system when I'm like yeah. oh I'm, I'm super producing right now I better go create something or vice versa well actually no I don't think I've ever gone
1: I've been too creative lately I, <laughs> enjoy that. That I can't like, possibly oh I've got to get into my QuickBooks account and invoice yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. being away for two and a half three weeks on this project I am um, I came back with- oh, I need to invoice blah, 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 and do accounting. and da, da, da. So the last day and a half has pretty, pretty much been at my old desktop computer behind me and just working on QuickBooks, sending out invoices, yeah. making sure everything's taken care of so that I could slip back into a creative mode. Yeah.
0: What's that like? Like, Do you feel it in your makeup when you're like, I got to get back into my creative mode?
1: Yeah. It's, it's weird because for pretty much my entire career, I've had a staff around me and I had an accountant and um, I mean, that's amazing. Oh, that alone is amazing. It was great. It was great. But the overhead was daunting. And sure. then we had a couple of crashes, like the 2008 crash. And then we had another thing happen. And then my last business partner was great. She was an entertainment attorney. I learned a lot. But she decided uh, she was going to retire. She had some family members that were ill. And I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to start working from home. And the reason being is it allows me to take projects. I'll go go off and direct a movie for a month. And I don't have a team of people waiting for me back home, waiting for me to generate work to put into the, I call it sausage factory. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't have to take sausage factory stuff anymore. I just take projects yeah. that I think really appeal to me on on many levels. And, and there's, I, I like working with companies that have integrity and companies that yeah. have good standards. Uh, my belief systems fall in line with theirs. Or I like the, telling stories and projects that have some kind of an impact when people walk, walk out of the theater or watch the film, walk away with some sort of foundation of I learned something or I I feel better about this or I need to do this. Yeah.
0: I understand that. I mean, that makes so much sense to me. It feels like you've got a little bit of an inner checklist that you must go through when you're looking it's, at projects. What's on that checklist?
1: It wasn't purposeful. Um, I don't think I set out to do that. And I think yeah. I had a gentleman interview me recently for an article. I just received a fellowship and it was through the, the grant company that had given me the fellowship. And we got into a conversation and I said, you know, I think part of it's my heritage, the way I was raised, what my parents, my expectations of my parents, and I never realized, and I think most people don't realize, they think everybody's childhood's the same. You know, everybody has right. two loving parents or whatever it is that their dynamics and their family rank, dynamics are the same. And then I get out and look back, I go, no, my mom did this, and my dad did this, and I had this, which I took for granted. And now I realize I should have not taken for granted, but Mm -hmm. I I think they set a foundation and expectations within me for myself to be able to be a contributor. And that's a big Uh part too, is what are you giving back? It's not just, what are you getting, but what are you giving back? And I found that to be more rewarding than, than anything. The fact I've created some projects and some stories and things that are, um, that help others. So that's a big, part of my my MO.
0: Was there a tipping point that you went and realized that that
1: is your your MO? I think it was when so, I was in my early 40s. It it took a while to get there because I think I was just in my own little world in my own little head and pushing yeah. down this road. And then all I of think of a, it's called 20s and 30s. Yeah, maybe so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. and it was a big it was, right. it was a party and it was work and it was all just for fun and games and and then I realized it kind of sheds light on the gifts that you've been given, the gift of health, the gift of storytelling, whatever right. gifts they are to you know be able to give back. And I and it's in, I don't want to get preachy or anything, but I feel like that's why we're here. If we're not really helping others, then, then what is our purpose in life?
0: So. Yeah, tell me what you think about this, but I think it's also finding what your purpose is in order to be able to give. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like you've really locked into the thing that, is going to fuel your ability to give back.
1: Absolutely. It's interesting because I remember working at a shelter and, and helping to feed the homeless. And, and it really was, it's cool. You know, you're standing there and you're serving food and making sure that they're, they're being helped. And then I realized, but if I make a film, I can impact a hundred times more people. Right. So I, I made a film for that shelter. And then I was like, okay. wow, that worked. It helped them. And I could still go stand in line and serve food because that's where I'm studying and figuring out how I tell the story. But telling the story was a greater impact. So that was part of what I was trying to do. I love that so much.
0: You're addressing it on two levels. Like you couldn't tell that story from the outside looking in, Mm -hmm. but you also couldn't tell the story if you weren't a filmmaker. Like you needed both those skills.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it is a um, kind of this convergence of all these different things gathered to, to give me those skills to do these stories and some are, yeah. some are feature-length documentaries i've done several of those some are short uh, little short films it depends on what the project is and what the needs are but i always kind of go towards those kind of projects personally yeah and i don't get caught up in the i spent 22 hours doing this i'm going to bill for that it just right. god takes care of fools and filmmakers and i feel like <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know I what t-shirt
0: both. that's from but it's
1: fantastic <laughs> I, I fall into both those categories Full- yeah. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> which one's on the front of the t-shirt which one's on the back you, saw, you know, touch and to go flip a shirt around depending <laughs> on how the day is going <laughs> right <laughs> that's Here's right the is, you flip it inside I, out and then it's <laughs> it's got a whole nother thing on it too
0: it's a whole other thing absolutely <laughs>
1: I, I mean, I'm so
0: on that same page. I, I know it's not always easy. Like if you choose a life of pursuing any kind of art, we're not, it's never going to be easy. It's never going to be like, oh, start here and there, super easy. And so looking at the trajectory of your career with like starting in, in copywriting and then in cinematography, I think there's a lot of people that want to transition, Do you know, yeah. like make those transitions of being a copywriter with dreams of directing. Can you tell me a couple of moments where you were like pushed through the door that
1: wasn't easy to open? It, no, it wasn't. In fact, I came up against a lot of stuff when I first started directing because, and, and operating camera, um, yeah, kind of a man's world. And I remember I was in a post production session in an audio house, and an older gentleman that would work that was working in the industry for another company came up. And we're standing in the lobby, and the TV commercial came on that I had directed, and he goes that looks pretty good. And I said, well, I, I directed that. And he goes, well, who ran camera? Well, I did. Well, who directed? Well, I did. Well, who, who ran camera? I, he could not get in his head or director of that TV commercial that we were just watching. And I would show up on set and people would say, who's running camera. I'm like, I am running camera. And it wasn't that right. I was the best camera operator, but I felt like I knew what I wanted to get. And saving money and being more practical and wanting actually kind of being a little, what's a good word? uh, Selfish. I stepped into that mantle and, and fell in love with it. And um, I'd still operate quite a bit on the Camber department, but a lot of times I'll turn it over to someone who's worked with me for 20 plus years, because I feel like they've kind of gleaned from me what I want and then I can focus on performance. So it depends on what the project is. So it's, it's been an interesting yeah, the glass, glass ceiling and kind of smash it open with the camera lens as opposed yeah. to my heels.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've given up heels a long time ago, so yeah, you have I, to have, have to. something else available. No,
1: it <laughs> was in my drawers, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> uh-uh, no. Like, was there times as you stepped into owning the title of being a director? Because that was something that, like, people sort of said, hey, why don't you direct? And then you had to kind of embrace it. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a level... Gosh, I don't know about men if they feel like this, but I feel like there's a level of you know fraudulent feeling of like, do I deserve this title? And mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about how you got over that, if you felt that at all, or how you got over that that feeling of the like a feeling oh, like an imposter,
1: an imposter. Yeah, it was interesting because I did start out on smaller projects, and then the bigger projects, I would hire directors and. So I'd be standing by as a creative from an ad agency watching the director's work. And I gleaned from them and I'm like, I don't know how they manage this or how they manage the set or how they're communicating. Oh, I like how they're doing this. Oh, I don't like this. And then I had a a boss that was uh, supportive. And so I went to a couple of places. I went to Maine workshops in Rockport, Maine, and I worked with, um, his name was Billy Williams and, he was the director of photography on Gandhi and won the Academy Award. Yeah. And he did Lion and Winter with Katherine Hepburn. And oh, wow. I was one of 20 of his students. I was the only woman. And I thought, boy, I'm just going to get beaten to death here because these are guys, you know. They right. were so gracious. And he was the proper British gentleman. And he spent so much extra time with me because I think mm-hmm. he did not run into a lot of women doing what, what I was doing. And was really... Just super generous with his information and yeah. time. And he'd worked with the best of the best. I mean, he'd worked on movies with Faye Dunaway and, as I said, Catherine Hepburn and just the classic, classic um, cinematographer. So having that, and then I went to Sundance Producers Workshop and worked with Steven Soderbergh and, believe it or not, Harvey uh, Weinstein. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Never um, heard of them.
1: Never heard of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So it was, it was great. I was able to attend and go to places where I had an opportunity to be around the people that were doing the, the pinnacle, the top level work. Um, so that was really great. And I really truly felt like I've been at the right place at the right time and just happened to be in the wrong state, again, North Carolina, but felt like I was not willing to leave and then I had a mother that I loved dearly that I ended up not wanting to go too far away from she had dementia and it was a 10-year battle with Alzheimer's so I stepped away and did two movies out of out of state but had good caregivers with her while I was away but you know I did did miss her dearly and yeah I know that she would have wanted me to go on those projects and go away for the time I did
0: my mom was in the same boat. She had dementia for her the last ten years of her life.
1: Yeah, and um, the slow goodbye, the long goodbye, that is just so painful. But I had a woman that was such a great caregiver for her. She'd bring her out to set. So mom was with me on set. Uh, amazing! She didn't even know who she who I was. <laughs> I remember, "What are you waiting on? Why aren't you shooting?" And I'd say, "I'm waiting for the light." She goes, "The light's nice." <laughs> amazing
0: though because they say like you know with people who go through dementia that the things that are like most um relevant or most strong in their hearts are the things that persevere as mm-hmm. as that illness progresses so the fact that she was able to still enjoy you regardless of who you were she didn't quite
1: times house cat but i was uh yeah uh,
0: <laughs> <interruptible>. yeah <laughs> So what were the some of the tools that you, you gleaned from those relationships, like when you were at Sundance and working with the people that kind of mentored you? What were a couple of the like, every time I make a Joanne Hawk movie, I'll always do this, that kind of thing?
1: Wow. Great question. I, I've never been asked that before. I think the persistence, patience, and perspiration kind of a thing that everybody that yeah. I ran into, even Soderbergh, and you think about his great successes, he was relentless and you just have to be unstoppable you just have to keep at mm-hmm. it and i think too many people stop too many people just talk about what they want to do but they never do it yes and so i think that's, that's part crazy of unstoppable and just step into it step in without a net if you've got what it takes then then you'll be able to keep your head above water and if yeah. you drown well then you drown but you know if i have know too many people that have these dreams or so-called dreams but all they do is talk i Love them dearly, but some of these folks, just, I've heard and and then and, and I've heard that story twenty yeah. times, and you haven't done it yet, and so you gotta yeah. you gotta just step out on faith and hope that uh, you can do it, and it really does take a major sacrifice. I know a lot yeah. of people in this business do not have families. I do not have a, a family. I don't have children. My stories are my children, and so you, there are things that you have to be willing to give up in order to to meet the challenges of this and the discipline that this business takes. Yeah. Where did
0: you get that from? Where did you get that nugget? Or who, did, who gave you like a kick in the pants and went, step in?
1: My, I would say my mom. I know that sounds really strange. Yeah. She believed in me a hundred percent. She And she was one of those, you don't need to get married. It's like, whose <laughs> mom says that? <laughs> right? Yeah. But isn't that a great, Like when you
0: realize you don't have to get married, you don't have to have kids i don't have kids either but like that was a huge revelation for me when i was like wait a second i never you know, had like
1: i mean dreams of me in a wedding gown anyway um, i did get married briefly and that was um, it was okay but and if we're still friends but it was not what i needed nor what he needed and yeah story short i'm i'm in a long-term relationship now but it's it's totally different and i think that the consistency of hard work and then being in a relationship where the partner understands that this is what it takes to have this kind of career yeah that's a huge i'm gone for months at a time sometimes
0: but you reinvented it like it feels like along the way you have invented the world you wanted and needed
1: was that conscious i think it evolved into something that i wanted and needed i did not know when i set out to do this that it was gonna end up here I knew when I was 12 years old, I wanted to work in film, but I didn't know what. I did a lot of eight millimeter animated films. At eight I, years old. When I was a little kid, I was in, into it. Yeah. And when I was four, I think I had a Kenner give a show projector and I just fell in love with it then. But uh, there's a little bit of a, a backstory that my grandfather worked for Warner Brothers his entire career. And so no he managed big, big, big movie theaters in Pittsburgh for Warner Brothers. And that's when the studio systems own the theaters, they'd make the films that went out to the theaters. And then that was kind of a monopoly at the time. And so he was in Pittsburgh, 5,000 seaters. They'd have vaudeville acts. Gene Kelly, the dancer worked for my grandfather. And that time he was, Gene Kelly was just a young man. And I remember hearing all these great stories about the movie industry and the movie business. And my dad grew up as a latchkey kid, rather than going home, he went to the movie theater and sat daily. He even flew his little, he had one of those mechanical airplanes on a Wire. Yeah. Wire yeah, that yeah theater um, so I heard all these stories growing up and so by the time I was nine, 10 years old I knew I wanted to do something in the business by the time I was 12 I was adamant about it and I loved art and animation and did did that for a while I loved writing I loved the creative aspects of it so I think it's just been ingrained in me since since a young I was a young kid
0: yeah yeah I don't think you had a choice it sounds like like this was the only life that you could
1: have led it's almost like destiny but yeah I think if I anything else I would have liked to have been a veterinarian maybe yeah but, do you um, have animals now yeah I do I have two two big rambunctious dogs I'm highly allergic to cats I love them I had three at one time but I got bronchitis all the time and I was no, you couldn't sick. have been
0: you couldn't have been a vet Joanne no, you would have gotten bronchitis all the time so yeah. you've done well you've chosen yeah. the right path yeah.
1: so yeah this I always try to have one or two dogs in my movies <laughs>
0: yeah
1: Yeah.
0: it should be called save the dog not save the cat they say save the dog movie (laughs) yeah so now stepping into like writing more what what was that like because it's a way more isolated experience than something like directing or
1: it it's interesting i've always had a lot of visuals in my head and then transcribing them into story and picture So I write for the screen, but I I don't think I could write a novel if I tried. Writing for the screen is totally different. And I started out as a copywriter back in the early 80s and then evolved into writing and directing movies. And I have several projects that I've written that I'm hoping to get off the ground. And I would, well, here's something about a big project coming up probably in a month or so. So writing is, yeah, very solitary. I like it though, and sometimes I'll look up and I went, like, "Wow, five hours just passed, and I have no idea." Wow. I have yeah. no idea where that time went, but here's the result. You know, it's pages of of work, and I'm one of those write first, edit second, rewrite, yep. edit, rewrite, edit, rewrite, edit, and then that's kind of my process. And so it's it is very um, ab- absorbing as far as the process and. And I don't think that it necessarily would work for others. If I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I can't sleep, I'll get up and write.
0: Really? Um, You're one of those writers.
1: Yeah. And I I can't mandate, oh, from nine until three, I'm going to write today. Because some of the other, there are too many things that come in and bombard you and distract and pull you away. I have to write when I'm motivated to write or when something is truly inspiring me to write. And yeah. a lot of times of, it's in my head first and then it goes into my fingers. So I live in my head. Yeah. I've always done that. People will have conversations with me and I forget what they're saying because I'm living in my head. Yeah. Conversation. I can tune things out like nobody's business. Uh, just, I mean, that's a skill. All that noise, it goes away. And, and then yeah. that's I yeah. feel like, it's a blessing for what I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, especially with the noise all in the world. I, there's a lot of noise when you're on set and, and for yeah. some I don't hear it it's just unless I need to hear it but it's it's just part of the world that we live in it's a very noisy busy world
0: oh my gosh there's no silence when's the last time you found silence
1: right there <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that that was the last time for me too <laughs> This trip that I just took where we we went to Denver and Dallas and New Mexico, I chose to drive because A, I have a lot of camera gear and lighting, and I wanted to take my own gear because it's easier for me to manage. And B, I wanted to get out of my COVID bubble and just mm-hmm. see some of the countryside. And it was spectacular going through Kansas. There are so many of these giant windmill farms And those, those windmills are spectacular and they just rotate so slow. There were two vehicles and there were three of us. So a lot of times I was by myself in that car with my thoughts, watching these windmill towers and listening to music and just being quiet and being alone in my thoughts. And that was just, it was like a respite. It was a vacation on the way to work. So, you know, eight, yeah. hours in the day looking at that kind of stuff and it was super spectacular I'm like yeah, yeah bet.
0: it feels like you've um you've kind of taught yourself the lessons you need to learn to be where you are today along the way like it feels like every every credit like i'd love to go through some of your credits and know the lesson that each movie <laughs> taught you it feels like you're self-taught like what was the lesson from like one of the first things like like crossroads charlotte or trinity goodheart or even like I mean, the movie that I watched was Redneck Roots, which is one of your earlier <laughs> directing. What was the lesson from that time in your life from those directing
1: uh, um, projects? Red, Redneck Roots was a blast because I felt like I was just hanging out with my friends for a month making a movie and it's low budget, low brow, <laughs> very, very um, rough around the edges. I felt like you could put MAGA hats on half the characters and it was- <laughs> would still fly you know it's just yeah yeah basically the premise of that film is we all have butt cracks and we are all one of the same if you accept one another from where they're coming from so right and and there's some deeper messages in that film that are so buried that maybe people don't get them but it was a joy to work on and be on set with my cast and with my crew and People today still talk about how much fun they had working on that. Now, yeah. that was a really my entree into directing a feature film. And then Trinity Goodheart was fun because I was working with a young, very talented young actress. And I had James Hong, who was probably one of the older, old, most mature seasoned actors in the world. His IMDb credits were like 450 credits long. And so here's this young, young child and a 90-year-old. And then I had Eric Benet, who's a very, very talented singer songwriter but I did not know much about his acting skills but I knew he could pull off the role and we had some good sidebars and some conversations and worked everything through and what I learned from that is everyone is a contributor so Mr. Hong Mm. who's 90 years old was running scenes with my 12 year old it was fun for them to just step off set rehearse work through some of the minutiae while I'm framing shots and working with my you know to get everything into the production and they come in and they would do their rehearsal for the camera and I was like this is spot on perfect so that yeah. everyone can really bring something to the set if you accept and welcome the gifts of others then sometimes those gifts multiply mm. in so many ways. I love he ended up getting nominated for like best NAACP Black Actor of the Year and he was up again up against Lawrence Fishburne. I'm like oh my gosh and eric's not an actor he's a singer but he got nominated with larry fishburne um that's pretty telling i yeah. thought that, that he did a great job and i i'd asked him i said why don't you do more movies and he said i've been on a lot of movie sets and i just didn't like what i was seeing but i'd come back and work with you so that made me feel. Uh, that's
0: a pretty great compliment
1: he was married yeah. to Andy barry at one point and i think he'd he'd probably seen what i would call some of the more I guess heavy laden that side of the production, which I, I can't abide. I just, I'm not into cow telling to people's talents. Everybody's no. on my set. You know, we're all computers, but I'm not big into celebrity dumb and things like that. No, I expect everybody, whether it's the PA that's bringing in the cooler waters or it's the yeah. boom operator or if it's a lead actor that has millions and millions of dollars in the bank. We're all the same
0: you know agreed agreed then then moving on then when, what did you learn from something later on in your career with happily never after
1: because that was yeah. more
0: of a series
1: it was well those those are fun shows to shoot because we were murdering people and doing real- <laughs> <laughs> i mean it feels like quite
0: a departure from redneck roots
1: to oh, that i mean we we blunge people and stab and rape and murder and kidnap and it was anything that could possibly happen bad to somebody would happen in one of those shows and uh, drownings uh, purposeful drownings and things like that so where i really learned was from the stunt guys and stunt women uh-huh. and we had to do some crazy stuff we did one show 10 days in alaska filming outside and the warmest it got was eight below zero And the only time we got out of the elements was to take a break for lunch. It took me 20 minutes to peel all my stuff off right down to eat because we just were layered and bundled up. The stunt people were out there in the snow, rolling around, getting shot and killed. And we had this one woman that had to be barely dressed in the snow in minus eight degree. And we would, we would time everything perfect. As soon as we cut, cut, get up, wipe her off. There's a lot of forward thinking and pre-planning. In order to work with weaponry to work with stunts to work with um and you know what, what happened recently on the movie rust we were a very very proficient team that had the, it down to a science yes. as far as the types of weapons and how they were managed on set the stunts that were coordinated and the stunt people that i work with were on major movies which was great so they brought a lot of their experiences to the set to work with me and it was great so we'd say here's what we need to accomplish how do we do this and working through those physicality of it um, yeah for the camera
0: how much prep do you do because i've seen some of the storyboards that you've done for your most recent project uh, child of the forest that i want to talk about in a
1: second but do you storyboard all the time redneck roots and trinity goodheart i storyboard every shot and then i discovered sometimes I don't have enough prep. What I um, often would do is I, I always create a shot list and then I have an overhead diagram schematic of here's the camera placement. Here's where we're going and here's what yeah. we're doing. And so everybody knows applies with a shot list. And then here's like, gotta have these shots. I'd like to have these shots. These are on my wish list. And how often do I get through the whole shot list for that particular day? A lot of times yeah. I'm having to edit my head as we're filming to say, oh, can't, okay, we don't have time. I can't get this angle or I can't do that. So it's truly one of the things I've never had. And I would embrace the idea of having a project where I really had more time at all the time in the world. I needed to craft the project, to craft the shots, to craft the right. performances the way I'd like. I just not had that luxury yet, but I think that's what I'm working yeah. on. Yeah. Do
0: you think that happens though, even for like the big, big budget movies, do you think that they have enough time I feel like I feel like on every film set you're running against the clock.
1: And I think the more money you have the more ambition there is so I, yeah I, I, yeah I, and, I, and the more complicated I, shots get. And I, I was watching there's a, a new Ryan Reynolds Dwayne Johnson is it got up movie I that just came out on uh, Netflix, and I was watching it last night, and it was very choreographed it was like they this shot was two seconds long and it was from this angle. on this shot was two seconds long and this angle. i don't know how much time they had to do that but it was very impressive in the editorial and how they put it together and i thought that took so much time just to shoot that one sequence yeah. i don't know how they did it, yeah. it like, but it's, it's like
0: just- i mean you know animation it's like animation you you know you spend a i have a friend that works with uh, robot chicken and he spent like two days working on somebody standing up so it's the right. same sort of thing right? right
1: i did a film not too long ago called women last spoke and i had i think they were eight and ten at the time so both of them were under 12 so no one could work more than eight hours and we had right. a turnaround time and all that we were very very careful and cautious about and i remember it was an integral scene and i said to my assistant director i said I need 10 more minutes, but I know that their clock runs out and he goes, yeah. And I said, I'm not going to cut camera. Can I keep working with them as long as I don't cut camera? I know that sounds really weird, yeah. but it was that kind of a, all right, that was great. Now let's do it again. Da, 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 da. I know that was great. Let's do it again. Reset. Because I knew the minute I called, I called cut that they would have to leave yeah. the set. I mean, it was down to that minutiae. Yeah. Um, great, great young actors, artists. They understood we were just trying to work within the, the confines of the day and the rules. But it was just, just you. You have to come to set prepared these days. And yeah. even running multiple cameras, you still have a hard time getting all the coverage you need to put the film together. Um, unfortunately, right. but, I did in all my edits, so I understand that process. And I feel I feel yeah. bad sometimes for my editors going, oh, <laughs> you're going to have to make this work because there was one other angle I wasn't able to get. We had to call the day. Yeah,
0: But you're sort of being prepared to be unprepared, right? Yeah, you, absolutely. I'd love to know the difference of directing somebody like Cloris Leishman, who... I mean, everybody adores, but then somebody like Corbin uh, Burnson. what was the different brains that you had to use in order to direct those two artists?
1: Cloris is interesting. She was a brilliant comedian. And I remember setting up a shot and I said, all right, this is all canned goods that we have special labels on. You can do anything you want here. And here's the drawer, and you can do this and this and this. And she goes, tell me what you want me to do. I thought, well, that's interesting. I thought she'd want to improv. Yes, uh, with all these props, and some actors want to improv with props. Some people don't. She was very specific. She wanted to know what I wanted her to do. I said, "Pick this up, drop it down here. Pick this up, do this here, and then say your line." That's how specific she wanted it drilled down. And then she would ad lib after that. Yeah. Once I got to the meat of it, and then she would throw out a little zinger that was purely course leachman she was also old she was 90 at the time i think 91 wow and so she did not have the physicality to get from a to b to c to d within the space so i had to kind of get right. get her since she was not stable as as i'd hoped i had to keep her leaning against counters or near people or something so that she was yeah. protected um, yeah. I had a scene where the girls put her in a wheelchair in a chair and spin her around and dance with her. I thought, if you throw that woman out of the chair, this, we're in big trouble. That's <laughs> right. Possible. You don't even know. Yeah. As the, that, that, yeah. <laughs> the show that killed Cloris Leachman. God, God, it, no. Right. She was wonderful. But, and Corbin has done a lot of directing on his own. I think he he came in worried that I would not be able to give him notes or give him directorial notes so day one, and he was a little bit of a, a curmudgeon, but I think after he got into what we were doing and saw what yeah. we were doing, the trust factor was there. And so I think yeah, of, course. A bit of it that, you know, he grew up in front of the camera and he he yeah. knew what to do, but I would have to dial him down or dial him up or do different things. Because when we did a, a run through the day before, he started talking like this. And I'm like, no, Corbin, right. that's kind of this old school cat for Phil McCoy's you're much more sophisticated than that and he goes well you shot me down fast and I said just wait and you'll see what I'm talking about so we yeah. had I wouldn't call it arm wrestling but we had some heavy conversations on set to get to the point where he knew what I was looking for in this character and I'd live with this yeah, character yeah. longer because I'd written co-written the screenplay with the the book's author um, yeah. so I and, I and worked with the producer very closely to understand where this this character was coming from and so a lot of times on the, especially these lower budget films you don't have the rehearsal time or the opportunity to do read-throughs and really get to know your cast and your yeah. cast to get to know you and the cast to get to know their characters so that's you know, one of the other things that I would love to have is more time in advance with my cast but it's it's mm-hmm. interesting to work with the Brian Dennehy you know he's a Tony Award winning yeah actor oh my gosh yeah the first day on set he walks up and i'm, I'm already I, I knew that he you know he's been around i'm not going to mess around i know exactly what i wanted to do so i'd already rehearsed got the camera lined out it was a very complicated dolly shot but when he arrived i was ready for him but yeah evidently I didn't, and i did not know because i was busy getting camera and everything lined up and working with my uh, stand-ins He shows up and he doesn't have a chair there and he has a bad knee. He goes, where the fuck is my chair? (laughs) That's the first word I hear from him. (laughs) And um, I'm like, where's Mr. Dennehy's chair? Can anybody grab that for him? And they brought it over and he sat down and I showed him the shot. I rehearsed the shot with the uh, stand-ins. He was awesome. Professional. Yeah, what a pro. And, And really receptive now i had to uh, yeah. down one time because he started swearing i said brian this is a hallmark movie and he said God damn it. <laughs> he was stuck on something and it was part of his character and i said this is a hallmark movie and he goes well they can beep it out and i said no i think beeping it out is not the same you can have and it's it not really a hallmark movie no and, and so i said let's show that frustration in your face do it yeah. the energy in your body but you just cannot say Uh -uh. gd in a hallmark movie it's just not going to fly so he scratched his head for a minute and then we did another take and it was perfect yeah the one that we ended up using. so kind of interesting trying to dial brian in; he damped without dialing down and 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 again he was the consummate pro and uh, loved working with him it's fun to have oscar winners tony winners
0: no I'm kidding, but working. it doesn't seem like much rattles your confidence, Joanne. Like like somebody else, if Brian Danny's first sentence was "Where the f is my chair," that might make somebody else go, oh, like I don't know, to get get the wind knocked out of them. Like you seem to always find the nuggets of confidence to, to do I, you what know, you need to I do. I don't
1: know where that comes from, and by the grace of God, I'm glad that I have that. But I also knew that was not my responsibility to have a chair for right. it
0: Right. I wasn't,
1: I wasn't blaming the part department that was supposed to have the chair for him, but you know, I was ready for him. So that was good. He had someone else to kind of flare up at. And then I think that yeah, sh- yeah. His, dom- his dominance, he came in, marked his territory and then I marked my territory and then we got along.
0: I mean, I love that so much. Does anything <laughs> rattle you? Does anything like, have you had a moment where you're like, I'm going to have to take a moment. I'm going to have to do some of those strong strength posings, you know, those like yoga poses <laughs> where you find your strength. Yeah, but has anything <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah um, the
1: tree. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of. I I do a lot of yoga. That helps um, center me, and I also yeah. realize that this is a fun business, and it should be fun. If you're not having fun on set, then we're doing something wrong. And I've watched too many people freak out over something that's so stupid. And I think that then why are you in this business? If I wanted, I could make a lot more as a nurse anesthetist than I do as a director. You know, I, if I want to deal with life and death, I don't want to deal with life and death. I chose this profession yeah. because it's it's playful, it's fun, it should be, even with content that's disturbing and dark. I did a, a little yeah. uh, pilot for a series and it was about racism and um, a black protester that gets shot and very close to some of the things that were parallel, parallel with what was going on in the country at the time. Mm-hmm. Even then we were still, on set enjoying ourselves now it wasn't ha, ha 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 because the subject matter was intense but we were really mm-hmm. clicking as a team and no yelling no screaming and i think i've dropped the f-bomb twice on set in my life yeah. and when when i have a friend that's a wardrobe superintendent and she heard me say that she just went. Mm-hmm. I am so surprised (laughs) it warranted it and when when people heard heard me drop the f-bomb then they knew I meant business because it was nobody was paying attention everybody was kind of going crazy and I don't know what happened with the ad or he stepped out of the room or something was gone yeah Um, and I just said shut the fuck up and they got everybody to be quiet so that we could regroup prioritize and it was just too many people and too too yeah. small space and it was the the noise did get loud so when the noise gets loud in those few occasions I will rise above the noise but typically I can block it out and just let it it's just the what's happening in the room at the time and you just embrace it
0: yeah it's interesting watching your career because it feels a little bit like genre ping pong where you go from <laughs> something like you go from something that's super fun and like light and s- sweet and heartfelt. And then like the project uh, Child of the Forest that you're working on right now is not that. Is that a conscious choice that you go, hey, I can't constantly do um, trauma related movies because it'll take a notch out of me. But I also can't do trite you know, unicorn movies, not saying that there's anything wrong with either side, but is that conscious
1: for you? You know, I don't know if it's, if it's conscious or not, but I certainly appreciate that, the the difference, the, the variety mm-hmm. of projects that I've taken, and um, I like it, Ping Pong, I think that's, I'm going to embrace that statement. It's but yours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pong, um, dark, very, 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 very dark content on some of these yeah. true crime series, to very very playful content with children, and that's what I love about this business is that I'm doing something different every day. No, no two days are yeah. alike. It may be purposeful in that life is like that. It is light like yeah. and dark, and I think reality you know, sometimes darker than I want it to be. But I tr- tend to go towards the brighter, lighter stuff. Tip personally. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you like having fun on set. I think sometimes, you know, even with dark material, it's got to still, you know, you have to be enjoying what you're creating, your, your, yes. your artists.
1: And actually yeah. uh, it's weird, but one of the, and I can't watch this movie ever again, but when I watched it, I, it's so disturbing seven with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Can't. There were some moments there where the, there was comical. Or yeah. And crafted lines. I'm like, I was laughing out loud. I don't know if it was the tension that was in my body being released. Or right, it. right. You can have great comedy within a drama or within a... a...
0: But that's life, right?
1: That, it's that. also
0: saying like the the tragedy right next to the comedy. If you look at the most tragic moments, you will also see your most comical moments probably.
1: Probably, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Joanne. I've so enjoyed, it. I have to wrap it
0: up. You've got things to do and you've got <laughs> obviously three or four projects to do in this day alone i'll wrap it up with two things we'll do our turn the tables and you can ask me a question and then we'll do the wrap-up question
1: okay so comedy that's your love isn't it and and uh uh-huh. who are some of your community icons people that you just think are the best you said amy sedaris you worked with her i like david oh my sedaris. gosh oh my god
0: davis sedaris for sure all his writing like those books make me laugh out loud and i mm-hmm. think that's pretty extraordinary I was brought up with SCTV, so all the Second City folks, and that's my background, too. So those are for sure. But then there's folks like Philip Seymour Hoffman that, again, like he traveled that thing. Like he was fucking hilarious. Like there's a scene of him from a movie with Ben Stiller and he he wipes out. He comes into a room and he wipes out and it makes me cry laughing. He's such (laughs) a genius in comedy. Or like Jennifer Coolidge in um, in White Lotus recently. I don't know if you've seen that series. Oh, I did. I
1: watched it. Loved her.
0: Genius, right? Because she travels this like tragic, pathetic, but so funny. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's my. Yeah.
1: That was a brilliant so. I would take
0: that kind of comedy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I would take that kind of comedy over like slapsticky comedy. That's not really, that's not really my jam.
1: Right. Right. I, I get yeah. that. What about ben, you? Ben Stiller has these, uh, he has such comedic performances he oh has gosh, yeah. to do stuff but then he also does more cerebral stuff so i i don't know love that i like all genres and all movies i, I like ryan reynolds did that what was that the guy movie free guy free guy he's brilliant so funny. So funny so funny and all the stuff that was going on in the background and just it was, yeah. it was physical comedy it was humor there were some I think some bigger pic- picture moments, sharing information. So that, that yeah. he's kind of one of my m- more contemporary heroes in the comic. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you think that it's as easy for comedic actors to be dramatic as it is for dramatic actors to be comedic?
1: I, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I always feel like to make someone laugh is harder than to make someone cry. And I look at, there's a, a news series... Out and it's um Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. Oh, the Shrink Next Door. Yep, it's serious. There's not yeah. a laugh in it. And I thought, well, that's kind of a waste of their comedic talent. But it also shows that they're so versatile that they can do drama. And I look at Robin Williams; he was a brilliant dramatic actor. Oh my gosh, yeah. And so you watch some a- actors that are dramatic yeah. try to do comedy, and they just can't pull it off. Uh, And I won't name names, but I'm like, ooh, they need to stay in the drama world. And they're one trick ponies. You know, they they have skill set and they're really good at it, but they can't slide over. So I think. Why do you think that um, is? Well, comedy has its roots in reality, or or at least to some degree. And I think the sympathetic note that you might have for somebody can be shown a lot of different ways. And I, I tend to make light in darker situations i was just at a, a funeral this our memorial service this weekend and as much as i loved the person that we were saying goodbye to i didn't feel like the service was reflective of him because it was so serious and and then i gave my mom a blowout going away and it was funny yeah. i laughed so hard to me comedy is life even in death you know just to be part of that and music and the way that we said goodbye and the humor. I mean it was crazy. I came out at my mother's funeral. <laughs> no. Oh my <laughs> gosh. To an entire congregation of 80, 90 year olds you you are a movie. You are a movie right now, Joanne. It was, Joanne. Crazy. It was you know, my sisters were like, well, she got GI Joes and I had Barbies, but mom always made mar Barbie clothes for me. You know, it was so she picked right. up what I was saying and just took it one step further. Oh, I
0: love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, you've got you got to write that into a movie somewhere. That's fantastic.
1: <laughs> and I had so many people come up to me afterwards. When I die, I want to have a service just like your mother's. <laughs> yeah
0: that's right now you're going to be producing service or if that's your part-time job that's yeah.
1: the joy of it yeah if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna leave the earth leave a big with a big laugh
0: I tell you yeah. to smile. <laughs> yes please oh my gosh these are the wrap-up firecracker
1: questions okay uh, fill in the blank to me a firecracker is you have to watch it to make sure it's going to go off and it may not go off when you think it will and when it does it stinks <laughs> <laughs> that is the most original answer to that question so that far. it's powder have a real kind of a acrid bitter horrible smell. Eggie. Uh-huh. Like, what? Hey. Right? What do you want to be best known for? Being true to myself and accommodating and and giving to others. And that's kind of a random bunch of stuff. But yeah, I just want to I want people to say she was a good egg, a stinky egg, but a good egg. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. She reminds me of a firecracker smell. If this was a movie, if, if your life was a movie so far, and this was, the credits are just about to roll. What has been like a climactic turning point in your life that changed your future forever?
1: Probably coming out at the ripe old age of 40. Mm. Um, Never and, too late. Yeah. And then finding myself through that and then finding my purpose so, yeah, just it's a little late in life. I call myself the grandma Moses of film production, but I'm not going to stop until I'm dead. I'll be one foot in the grave with the lens pointing up, saying, throw the dirt over here. It's a really great shot. I don't want to get covered up while I'm still filming. So, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's exactly right, though. I think is I mean, well, let me ask you do you think there's a, there's a connection between you coming out and you recognizing the purpose of your filmmaking life?
1: Yeah, because I've always probably been an underdog or a a quiet one in the back or not vocal about things and and i I don't wave a rainbow flag or anything like that i'm just me and i've been this since i was born it's just embracing myself and who i am and what i do and hoping that people accept me for who i am well
0: there's no reason not to you're fantastic so this is yeah absolutely um what's been your best mistake and what did you learn from it
1: I did accidentally, and, and I was working too fast and too f- furious. I was doing a documentary, and I was on the red carpet at the Tony Awards filming for this documentary, and I put the cards in the wrong pocket, and I reused them. <laughs> oh, yeah. That that one hurts. But And and I realized that that was a horrible mistake, but I probably saved myself a lot of money because then I didn't have to get rights and clearances on all those kidneys
0: values yeah.
1: <laughs> what's something that you haven't done yet but you know you have to do i want to go to antarctica and patagonia i've climbed Kilimanjaro. Yeah. i've climbed i did the in control sure. uh, but antarctica and patagonia are way up on my list and um those are that's way up there and that's not a film project yeah. it's just an adventure project so that's not yet i have a feeling not yet <laughs> maybe i'll write some story and that way i get to to go sooner than later
0: i'm Sam. yeah um who's a firecracker in your world that we can shine a light on
1: i worked for this woman this was years ago and she's the one that encouraged me to direct she's the one that let me go to sundance institute she was my boss uh sundance institute to the to the workshops and then also to work with uh, billy williams asc and bsc so she, to laurie garner she was awesome and she was mm-hmm. she was a glass ceiling breaker and she just pulled me up right behind her so it was great beautiful
0: and lastly what advice what advice would you give a younger joanne at even like at eight years old when you're like i'm going to be a filmmaker at eight what would advice would you have given yourself
1: you know i wish i had when i was little joanne i wish i had somebody i could have um, asked and talk to um, i love mentoring people and interns i have interns that are working all across the country in film production I feel really blessed to have uh, had a little role in, in helping them and that's if i could tell anybody I just get the experience because if you think want to be, be in this business, just go try it out for a couple of days, volunteer, go work on some mm-hmm. set, get, get your feet wet and see if you truly like it because you'll know within a day or two, whether or not this is for you. It's such a yeah. unique lifestyle and such a unique way of making a living that you'll know if, if you gravitate towards it or not. And if you're doing it yeah. for the money, you're in the wrong business.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I feel like you have some consistencies on your set and the consistencies are that you love being on set. You're meeting folks where they are and you're, you're working hard, like you're collaborating, which is, uh, I, I'm excited to see every single thing that comes out of your brain, your heart.
1: Well, I've got some, some exciting things that are the, those flaming bowling balls that are up in the air. If yeah. I can get one or two of those off the ground, I will be so thrilled, and I'd uh, oh, love to talk with you more about it. those. Are those are? Oh very- my gosh,
0: let's do a follow up. I have two wishes for you. I hope that they all go, all your flaming bo- bowling balls go, but not at the same time. Thank you.
1: That was my concern. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what I would do if they all happen at the same time, because uh, yeah. all of them are very near and dear to my heart, and all very important. I think they will be projects that I'll be super proud of. I will just have to let it sort itself out because you're going to need some more people oh, in your boat. Yeah, I'll need some more people in the boat. Yeah. Need a bigger boat. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. I know you're super busy. I really appreciate this time and I'm 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 just really glad to be able to share your story with our community. I think it's a really important one. I think you're your heart is really important to share with everybody. So thank you for this.
1: Oh, absolutely. This has been a joy to, you're so easy to talk with and I'd awesome. love to have a glass of wine with you sometime. Be so- I know.
0: Cause I really would love to take you out for a glass of wine and, uh, and chat. That would be- Okay. All right. All right. I'll get the third. Okay. We'll keep going. <laughs> all right. Bye. Joanne. Have a great day. Thank, thank you. you. Bye, Bye. It was just so great. Every time I sit down to have chats for the Firecracker Department podcast, you know, I prepare and I research and I always get a little nervous. And then there's always like a, a millisecond where I'm like, I'm gonna cancel. I don't know, why. is it my nerves? I don't know, but then I dive in obviously cause I can't go around canceling my life. And I have a chat like I did with Joanne and I'm like, oh, this is why I do what I do. Because not only am I inspired but I know I know that you're all gonna soak in some Joanne Hawk and feel that inspiration as well I just loved talking about her projects, like the one she has in development called Child of the Forest, which is a seven part limited series based on the book Child of the Forest. It looks incredible. It's a true story about a child that evaded the Nazis and survived alone in the woods for two years evading capture. Incredible story. She ultimately survived and became one of the greatest living witnesses to the Holocaust. So that story alone, like what an amazing thing to bring to screens and then to people like you. Yeah. Now, listen, for all the Joanne Hawk updates, you're going to want to go on Instagram at joanne.hawk and on Twitter at jhawkfilmmaker or visit her website joannehawk.com and find out all about her amazingness. And of course, I mean, you can watch the very funny, ridiculously silly redneck roots on Real Women's Network. Speaking of Real Women's Network, Make sure you're also following them. Find them on Instagram at Real Women's Network or on Twitter at Real Women's Net W and the number one. In all cases, you know, we got you. Just check our show notes for the link. We're going to be bringing you a new creator from the Real Women's Network every month. So watch out for these voices and check out what's available to stream right now at realwomensnetwork.com and stay tuned to all our socials at Firecracker Dept for updates and announcements and all the great firecracker stuff keep us in touch i'd love to hear what you thought about my chat with joanne tell me what resonated with you like was there something the next day that you woke up and went oh you know when joanne said this that really clicked for me tell me about it at Firecracker Dept. oh and also you heard it here first but next week We're gonna be bringing you our last show before the holiday hiatus. Can you believe it? Our last show. And I've got an amazing treat for you. Oh, I'm very excited. I mean, I don't know how many people listen past the interview, maybe this outro stuff. People are like, so long, sneak us." But listen to me, you've got an amazing podcast coming up with actor, singer, songwriter, dancer, cool person, new mom, Disney zombies star, Kylie Russell. Yes. I'm so jazzed and thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for putting us in your ear holes and being part of the firecracker department. As I always say, when people join us, we just get just a little bit better and there's always space for you at the firecracker table because this table's got a lot of leaves. So join us. Have a great day everybody and thanks for listening. Winnie Wong is our firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong eight on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about, because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advance updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first-time or a long-time listener to the Firecracker Department, We always, always wanna hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it, we really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you wanna stop and write something down, send it back to us or our firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world that it resonates and if it sparks something in you use that creativity to take some creative action share it because it just reverberates you know if you see somebody being creative that might spark somebody else's creativity so pay it forward thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music and thanks to you yeah you sitting there driving there walking there working out there and taking time to listen We know there's a lot of options out there, and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.